With the 13th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris McPherson, and welcome to another edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. I am joined, as always, by Fran Duffy. Fran, welcome to the program. Chris, thank you. Alex Smith, on board. Pleasure to be here, as always. Behind the scenes, we got Brian Thomas producing. Our special guest this week is going to be NFL Network analyst Charles Davis, but we have a lot of stuff to get into. We have your questions in our draft mailbag, some really great ones. I know everyone is much more excited with the Eagles acquiring that number eight overall pick from the Miami Dolphins, and we're going to start things off by getting into the latest news and nuggets in our draft buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, so we're going to start off our Draft Buzz this week with some notes from our good friend Tony Pauline, his Monday morning column that you can read throughout the draft process here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Truly becoming a must-read, and first thing I want to touch on here is quarterback Dak Prescott from Mississippi State uh, was reportedly arrested for driving under the influence. The police have said that they did, in fact, pull him over, but... Did not say anything beyond that. Um, but the question is, how will that impact his draft stock, which apparently, by according to reports, had been on the rise as of late. Pauline said that, look, most teams already have him as a third-day pick. That's not going to really change things much. He believes that the teams who might have liked him in the third round as a late second-day pick, they might be like, eh, and then kind of push him into the third day now. So your guys' thoughts on the fact that Prescott – uh, making reportedly a very bad decision before the draft uh, and the potential that his stock will drop a little bit because of this. Yeah, obviously it's always a bad decision to drive drunk. No, no I mean, no question. So, uh, awful decision on his part. But then also, you know, this is a draft class where the depth of this group, all these players in the back end are jockeying for position and they're all looking for ways that they can gain an advantage over each other and to give your... Uh, your adversary is another advantage. It is obviously not a, a it's, it's awful timing for Prescott. Now, really what it does is it opens the door for all the talent evaluators, all the decision makers now for NFL teams to question other events in his past. Last offseason during spring break, there was an incident where he wasn't given any fault in it, but he was sucker punched and got, you know, got knocked out. I think he had some kind of incident on spring break. No one ever made anything of it because reportedly he's a great kid. You know, we saw him at the Senior Bowl, great kid. He was at the Combine and talked, and everybody loved him at the podium. You know, there's never been any reported issues, but all this does is open the door. Now teams have to decide, is this a harbinger of things to come, or is it just one bad incident in a vacuum? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is what you touched on, friends, that we kind of all know who the top three quarterbacks are, but who are four, five, and six right now? And, you know, the, some of the names that are in the mix, guys like, you know, Christian Hackenberg here is a potential third-round pick. Uh, and Dak Prescott was one of those guys who, you know, as you said, C-Mac, could have been a, a mid-third-round pick depending on how teams valued him at the quarterback position. So uh, it, it's just really, really unfortunate timing. Uh, I think he actually did put out a statement just apologizing for his actions. He may have tweeted it out uh, or his agent may have put it out. But um, just really rough timing for uh, a guy that, you know, has potential to be in that next tier of quarterbacks in the draft. All right, uh, next up here in Draft Buzz, 
Tony Pauline has some insight into what the Dallas Cowboys could do with the number four overall pick, and Pauline believes that the Cowboys are targeting a pair of Ohio State Buckeyes. He said that the team truly covets defensive back Jalen Ramsey, but believes he'll be gone by then. So, if he's off the board, he believes it'll either be defensive end Joey Bosa or running back Ezekiel Elliott with the number four overall pick. Now, I did the fan mock draft for Philadelphia.com on Monday. It's a very interesting exercise to go through and try to plot things out. And you're also, you see tons of mock drafts, and you're trying, you are trying to be a little different because you don't want to just follow in everyone's footsteps and go with the flow. You know, I don't know who's really setting the trend, but you, you don't want to follow it. So you're kind of like, what could be something that's different? Because draft day, there's going to be a curveball. There'll be a surprise. For me, the Cowboys don't typically pick this high. They've been a pretty good team. You know, the, you know usually they're at least around 500. Mm-hmm. They don't typically have a top five pick. We know Tony Rome was getting up there in age. You know, I figure Carson Wentz, if he's the first quarterback off the board to the Cleveland, I just think, I think Ramsey will be off the board by this point too. So I think they got to take advantage and try to get their quarterback of the future. And you don't have to play him right away. And if Tony Romo plays another year or two, you know, great. You know, quarterback can sit and learn. But to me, I just think that, you know, Romo's coming off a season in which obviously he missed most of it because of the collarbone injury. He's getting another year older. Can you truly count him? Do you at some point start to look toward the future? Or does Jerry Jones say, what gives us the best chance to win now? Can we get one more big playoff run out of Tony Romo? And maybe you get a guy like Bosa or Elliott, which would be more of a impact move now than later. Well, that's what's going to be. I think of all the teams picking ahead of the Eagles, this is the most interesting pick because obviously it's in division. And then also since they can go in so many different ways, uh, it's going to have a huge impact on the rest of the draft. And, you know, if you're looking at it and you're looking at a running back versus a quarterback, you talked about it. Quarterback, obviously not going to make an impact right away. You take Ezekiel Elliott, he's going to run for 1,300-plus yards as a rookie behind that Certainly. offensive line uh, in that scheme. So, you know, I- I'll be very fascinated to see which direction they decide to go. They, like the Eagles, could go in an, a lot of different ways. Right. I mean, they could go secondary. They could go linebacker. They could go pass rusher. Uh, they could go anywhere else on offense because – you know, when Des Bryant was gone, it's not like that they were putting up a ton of numbers uh, offensively. So I think that that's a really, really interesting spot at number four. I think that fans would be upset. It seems like the majority, I don't know, Alex, I mean, I don't know where the mock draft tracker is at this point. It would seem like Ezekiel Elliott is becoming the, the favorite in Correct. terms of the media for the, for, the, for the Eagles at number eight. He is. And uh, in, in a lot of the recent mock drafts, Elliott falling to the Eagles at eight has been, uh, has been what's happened. But Looking at the Cowboys at number four, I think Jerry Jones loves to make a splash. And going, af- going after the uh, quarterback there would certainly be a splash. Drafting Ezekiel Elliott at number four would certainly be a huge splash. And as you said, Fran, a lot of Eagles fans probably wouldn't be very happy about that uh, because they'd like to see him fall to the Eagles at number eight. And I'd be very interested to see what the Eagles would do if Elliott is indeed on the board at number eight. But uh, when I look at the Cowboys, I think... I look at what they've done the last few years, and they really built up that offensive line, and that's had a lot of success. So now I think that they may be focusing on the trenches a little bit. They signed Cedric Thornton away from the Eagles to add to that defensive line. They lost Greg Hardy. Well, we assume they're going to lose Greg Hardy. He's a free agent. Doesn't sound like he's going to end up back there. So do they bring in Joey Bosa there to really fortify that defensive line and build upon that? I think it'll be really interesting to see with, with, uh, which philosophy they go with at that point. All right, next up in our draft buzz. Much has been made about the production of Clemson cornerback Mackenzie Alexander. He has never intercepted a pass and broken up just 11 in his college career. However, Pauline notes that NFL decision-makers are not among those concerned. One executive told him 
You can't make plays on the ball if no one throws in his direction. The bigger concern is going to be size. He's 5'10", and saying that for some teams, they'll wipe him off the board in the first round in terms of consideration there. Uh, mock drafts early on had him as a potential top 10 pick. You see him sliding a little bit more to our mid-first round pick at this point. Um, but I know, Frank, you're not in love with Alexander in the draft process, not at least as a potential top 10 option for the Eagles. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know that he's a top 10 option because of the size, but I do think he's an outstanding corner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, do the ball skills worry you in terms of the production? Yeah, I think that's a little bit of a concern, and, and the teams certainly stayed away from him. I mean, that's not, that's, uh, you can't blame him for that. To me, you'd be more worried if there were, uh, if his tackle numbers were really high and his ball production numbers were really low, because that means that he's giving up lots of catches and he's getting lots of tackles and lots of stops, but he's not getting it, getting the ball on the ground or not intercepting the football. To me, the you know teams were staying away from him, and that's a that's a credit to him. I know that Eagles fans are not going to want to hear this, but whenever I hear about a cornerback and the argument like you know he doesn't have many interceptions because they don't throw to him. It reminds me of Namdi Asma because mm. that was something that they said about him towards the end of his career with yeah. the Raiders when, when the Eagles had signed him, that teams just weren't throwing at him. Uh, so, so that it always just kind of makes me think of that. Uh, not that those two are similar players by any stretch, but um, when I look at the cornerback position, and especially for the Eagles picking in the top ten, I want a playmaker. I want a guy who's, you know, who's going to be able to, to, to win at the point of attack, get the ball in his hands, and, and you know, do some things with it. So... Um, but, you know, we'll see. I think the, we'll see what happens with uh, Mackenzie Alexander. We'll stay in the defensive backfield. This note comes from Lewis Riddick, former Eagles personnel executive, now with ESPN, on Twitter, posted that he believes that safety Carl Joseph from West Virginia is the draft's best defensive back, versatile, competitive, provides run support, can blitz tackle, zone pattern recognition, man skills, ball skills. He goes on and on. And he says better than Alexander. Vernon Hargraves, better than Jalen Ramsey. He says Joseph is the best defensive back in this year's draft class. Note that Joseph is coming off a knee injury, should be noted, but Mm -hmm. still, pretty bold statement there from Lou Riddick. Certainly, and obviously a guy who's had a ton of experience evaluating talent. He was asked uh, as a follow-up about Ramsey, and he said, yeah, Ramsey's the better athlete and the better prospect from that standpoint, but in terms of the best overall football player, Carl Joseph is, is ahead, which is a very, very interesting take. Yeah, and I, I think Joseph's a really interesting player. I think he's drawn comparison to kind of that Cam Chancellor type, a heavy hitter, can play down in the box. Um, but if, if Lou Riddick says that he can be that versatile safety, a guy who can do a little bit of everything, then, then he may actually be the best defensive back. Maybe he'll provide better value because you're not going to have to get him at number three. You can get him maybe second round, third round, depending on how things shake out, so uh, that you won't invest as high a pick to get Joseph. Uh, next note comes from... Arizona Cardinals head coach Bruce Arians called the class of wideouts in the 2016 NFL Draft the slowest group of receivers I've ever seen in 20 years. It was probably more disappointment than guys catching my eye at Indy. We know how much Bruce Arians loves speed. The guys that he's brought into his teams, uh, no matter where he's been, you think of Emmanuel Sanders in Pittsburgh and T.Y. Hilton in Indianapolis and John Brown now in Arizona. Uh, he J. loves J. speed. J.J. Nelson, yeah. of course, yeah. So uh, you look at all the players that he's brought in at the, at the wide receiver position and where he, the places that he's been coaching at over the last decade plus uh, in the NFL. Uh, it would be, it's not surprising to hear him say that. 
Yeah, and it's interesting to me because if you think about the Eagles wide receiver position right now, and if you would ask the fans what they want, they want that fast wide receiver. They want that deep threat. Um, so there may not be that many of them in this draft. So uh, it's kind of up to the Eagles front office to kind of weed through it and find that diamond in the rough, I think. And does that up the value of a guy like Will Fuller? You know, does that say, okay, if there's not there's too many speed threats, could mm-hmm. we see Will Fuller go top 30 or top 40? That'll be very interesting. All right, our last note here, draft buzz with the Eagles moving up to number eight in the draft. It's time for a different take on a mock draft from a local writer. Our good friend Jimmy Kemsky from Philly Voice put out a new version of a seven-round mock for the Eagles. And at the top, he has Ronnie Stanley, the tackle of Notre Dame, going in number eight overall. In the third round, the Eagles take a quarterback, Christian Hackenberg. From Penn State, you should have some University. kind of sounder to to signify just my just like a affection. siren, like yes. The, yes. the Hackenberg alert. Exactly. Uh, go through a couple of other key names here: Hassan Ridgeway, the defensive lineman from Texas, the other third round selection. Running back Paul Perkins from UCLA. Sean Davis. We'll be talking about him later on in the podcast out of Maryland. Evan Bame, the offensive lineman, the center from Mizzou, and then a couple late round picks. But uh, your guys' take on Stanley being the top pick there, number eight. So Stanley is certainly very, very talented offensive lineman, you know, and shows the ability. He's got light feet, shows the ability to move people at the point of attack. I think he's a little bit more refined and a little bit more consistent in the run game right now than he is in the pass game, but he certainly has the feet to protect the edge as a left tackle, as a right tackle, however you want to use him. Uh, he's played both sides of the line uh, during his time at Notre Dame. He's a, look, he's a durable kid. He started every game in the last three years. Uh, a very, very impressive talent. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him go top ten. But my question is, Fran, is he a guy suited to shift inside and play guard if, if he has to in the early part of his career? Or is that going to take away you know, some of the things that he does best from that tackle position and being able to use his feet and, and that kind of thing? You know, I think that he could. Yeah, I, I don't know if that it's the, his best uh, situation, but I think that he could do it. Uh, we've seen a lot of players over the last few years who are – uh, who were tackles in college that a lot of people saw as tackles in college and coming into the NFL, that they moved to guard just be, just so that they can get him in there. Colecchio Semele is, a, is an, a, one example, a guy who's played both tackle and guard. Eugene Monroe from the Baltimore and Jacksonville as well played tackle and guard. Uh, some were high picks, some were, you know, were mid-round picks. I think that that can certainly happen. You know, we'll see what happens with Stanley. I think it'll be very interesting. He could play guard, though. All right, so that's going to do it for our draft buzz. A little bit later on, we'll get to your questions in our draft mailbag. But coming up, our Mr. Relevant with NFL Network analyst Charles Davis will get into his take on what he thinks the Eagles could do with that number eight pick and who are some of his surprise players in his big board within the top ten. Here's NFL Network's Charles Davis. It's time for Mr. Relevant. This week's Mr. Relevant on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA, none other than NFL Network analyst Charles Davis. You can follow him on Twitter at CFD22, and you can see him every weeknight on Path to the Draft at 6 p.m. on NFL Network. Charles, welcome to the program. First thing I want to ask you is the Eagles made the big trade to move up from number 13 overall to number 8 in the draft. What was your initial reaction, and why do you think the Eagles wanted to get into one of those top ten selections? My initial reaction, and hello, first of all, guys, hope everyone's well. My, my initial reaction was, I think it's a great move, because 
it wasn't just getting up to number eight. You know, it, it's it's the way that they're going about business now and doing things. Okay, if, if if things didn't work before, you make a deal. I love the deal they made with Miami. You end up getting draft picks and Kiko Alonso and 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 uh, oh my God. Um, Byron Maxwell. Yep. I always want to call him Walter Thurman. One day, <laughs> both of them are going to punch me in the mouth, and, and I will deserve it. Okay, <laughs> but I thought that was a good move. All right, it, you know, for whatever reason, wasn't working. We can say injuries on, on on one hand, what have you. Some people are just saying it's just simply the purge of whatever chips guys were, but I, I don't think it's just simply that. I think Howie Roseman has a real plan in, in mind and and is going about executing it. I love getting into top ten because. I think Howie's right. I saw a quote where he said, you know, you're talking like nine, ten guys that you're talking about the elite on the board and you want to get up in there and grab one of those guys. So shifting from 13 to 8 doesn't seem like a whole lot, but in case of Philadelphia, it also tells me that they have certain people identified that they really, really like, and the only way they could ensure getting one of those, they feel, is to get into the top ten, and they did it. So I loved it. I thought it was a really nice, aggressive move without bankrupting anything, without being foolhardy, you know, all those things that we want. We always talk about with the draft and how you protect picks and, and not give up too much for, for, for the future going forward. But I also thought it was a great message to Eagles fans that, hey, you know, things, things have been a little bit of turmoil for the last year or so. We're trying to calm the waters a little bit, and someone is definitely in charge without having to stand up on a soapbox and declare that he's in charge. He's just doing it by action. Charles, I was going through your Twitter account yesterday, and obviously you're one of the best follows on Twitter, at CFD22. And, Charles, uh, I saw you were asked yesterday about a certain scenario of if you were the Eagles at number eight. And there were a certain – there was Laquan Treadwell, it was Jared Goff, Ronnie Stanley, uh, Hargreaves from Florida, and Miles Jack. And you named two players. You said it would be Jack and Hargreaves. That would be the biggest discussion for you. What is it about those two guys that sets them apart from the other three? Yeah, and, you know, when I look back at it, it was interesting because when I answered the question, and I'll, and I'll get to it in a second, I really didn't answer it well because I think a lot of it still, even though Sam Bradford's gotten signed, right, and they made the deal for Chase Daniel, are you going to try and maybe make another move? If, let's say you have conviction on one of those quarterbacks. Let's say it's Wentz or Goff, and you really like them. You know, Sam Bradford could be an attractive target for someone out there. I'm looking at you, Denver, right? I'm looking at you, Jets, if you're not going to make anything move happen with Fitzpatrick. You know, he played most of last season. What did he play? 15 of 16 last year, correct? So, so you know, that that's a big deal for, for Sam because that's always been the issue with him, if that's what you feel. Now, if you don't feel that way, then obviously all that's off the table. And that's why I said Jack and, and, and Hargreaves. Number one, I think Hargreaves is, is the second corner off the board. Because Jalen Ramsey, whether people take him as a corner or a safety, I think he's the elite guy. He's the number one guy. Hargreaves I just absolutely love. I think he plays a lot like Joe Hayden. I know it's an easy easy grab because they went to the same school. But that completeness to them, the ability to tackle, the ability to cover, he's not the same athlete Hayden is, but Hayden was a special athlete. You guys remember we were all there at the Combine when Joe Hayden had that horrible day. You remember that? <laughs> Everyone was looking at each other going, what was that? And then three weeks later, he got his biorhythms back in check or whatever it was, and he ran, you know, sub 4, 440 on natural grass, 
and look like the Joe. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's Joe Hayden again. Hargreaves isn't that same athlete, but that doesn't mean he's a lousy athlete. You know, we make these comparisons. It's like, well, he's not him. Oh, well, he must be. No, he did. But some people just are just a little bit of cut above. Doesn't mean the next guy's really bad. I think he takes the challenge all the time. I think he enjoys playing the game, and I think that he would fit in well. Jack's just special. You know, where do you want where do you want to play him? You want to play him inside, you want to play him outside. We've seen him carry the football as well on offense. He plays with an incredible passion and joy. You know, he's one of those guys we always talk about sideline to sideline linebackers. I always talk about sideline to sideline, goal line to goal line. Because if you're sideline to sideline, you're making all your plays laterally and you're making tackles and, and, and we love that, right? I say goal line to goal line. The ability to drop in coverage and take care take away that, as well as the going to the other goal line, which means rushing the pass. I think Miles Jack has a little bit of everything in him, and I think he'll just continue to get better. It's similar to Khalil Mack. You know, would he be an elite pass rusher? Would he be that guy? And in the second year, we saw those numbers really come to the front. I think Miles Jack has the capability of doing everything you're asking of him or, or want to ask of him. Charles, I wanted to ask you about the wide receiver position because certainly we've heard that it may not be the fastest group that we've seen in recent years. So, first of all, what's your overall take on the wide receiver group? Uh, and then second of all, Corey Coleman was a guy that made a lot of sense for the Eagles at number 13. Would he still make sense, in your opinion, at number 8? Well, I would have some guys ahead of him at 8 because I still think those guys are there, whether it's a Jack, whether it's a Hargreaves. Um, what if Ronnie Stanley's sitting there at eight, the offensive tackle, that maybe you, you might want to think to yourself, okay, we're not quite sure where we're going with Jason Peters. We know Lane Johnson's eventually getting the left tackle. I can play Ronnie Stanley at right tackle right now and be very, very happy and have the bookend. And I think what we all have to face, and I think you guys have done a tremendous job of pointing it out, is that the game is no longer your left tackle is the guy who gets paid, your right tackle is your road grade blocker. The way we play now, you better have guys who can dance on both sides. Because what teams have done is they've gotten smart in their pass rush, and it's not always just your number one pass rusher matching up with your left tackle. They'll move that pass rusher around for matchups and come at you from the bat from the front side for a right-handed quarterback and come get you that way. And that athleticism keeps increasing, so you better have it on both sides. So I, I wouldn't think that Coleman would be in play for me at eight at eight. I would think he's much more in play at 13. To me, at 8, I probably have a few other guys I have some value on. But the receiving crop overall, it's not just that they didn't run extremely fast. I mean, you see, I think you guys saw what Bruce Arians talked about it. It's like, well, it's not seen in 20 years. And, you know, B.A., he's pretty blunt. He's going to put it out there. It's not just that. You're trying to decide who has that elite explosiveness that's going to end up in the end zone an awful lot. I think Treadwell ends up in the end zone a lot. Is he elite and explosive? I don't know. Corey Coleman, <laughs> look, you guys watch as much film as anyone out there. Have you been able to identify anything outside of about four routes that Coleman ran at, at Baylor? And that's not a criticism. That's just what they run, and because he's superior in college, he gets away with it. What did you, I mean, this is what I saw. I saw a hitch. I saw a screen, right? I saw a go. And I saw a few slants in there. I didn't see a heck of a lot more. But that's okay because that's what Baylor did, and boy, did he do it well. I think that he can learn to run more routes, and he gives you that explosiveness you are looking for. 
if indeed you were taking him at 13 and 8. I'm not so sure I would take him there if I have those other guys we've already mentioned sitting on the board. Charles, going through the comment that Howie Rosen made and saying that there's you know 10 preeminent prospects in this year's draft class and he wanted to make sure that the Eagles get one of them, I'm going through and trying to guess who those top 10 guys are. And I think there's a consensus on the top of the top guys. But two of the guys that you have in your top 10 who are different than I've seen in other lists, Alabama defensive lineman Jerron Reed and Ohio State linebacker Darren Lee. Can you explain to me why those two guys are you're in your are in your top 10 of this year's draft class? Yeah, that is a little bit outside the norm, isn't it? Reed, I watched a whole week at the Senior Bowl, and I'd watched him on tape before. And, you know, let's face it, what's the book on Reed? Elite run stuffer, plays tremendously with his hands, plays with a good motor. You know, he's actually a little bit of a contrast to his partner at Alabama, Sean Robinson, who at times you say, okay, his motor doesn't run as high as Reed's. And a lot of it was, I don't know if he can rush the passer. Well, when I watched him at the Senior Bowl, I think that he has his best pass rushing still ahead of him. I think that as, as time goes on and he gets some more matchups, especially in the nickel and the sub packages that we see more and more, where he can be an inside rusher, I think he'll get better at it. Do I think he's going to be one of those inside rushers like the guys who are in the Hall of Fame? You know, the old Keith Millards and John Randalls and, and Saps and guys of that nature as under tackles? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm also saying I don't think he'll just be a one-sack year type of a guy inside. I think he'll be better than that. Plus, I see a guy that just plays all out. I think there was one sequence in the bowl, in the uh, senior bowl game where he made the tackle on three straight plays. Just boom, boom, boom. And those types of things linger with me. I think he's a terrific player. In some ways, we undervalue him because he didn't have sack numbers, but that's one of the reasons I rose him. Darren Lee is the prototype of what we're looking for at, out, at, at linebacker nowadays for three down, a guy that I can use to cover myriad of receivers, whether it's tight end, some slot to the big, um, being, being able to, to, to handle running backs out of the backfield. Of course, he can rush the passer a little bit, which isn't a bad thing at all. And his elite speed at linebacker allows him to make those runs like I talked about with, with uh, Miles Jack, sideline to sideline, end zone to end zone. So I just think that he is a, a, a much better player. I shouldn't say much better player. I just rose him into my top ten because I'm crazy about it. Sometimes that first impression never leaves you. And for me, it was the Big Ten Championship game against Wisconsin that I did a couple of years ago where the whole game I felt like I was saying, man, did you see Darren Lee? Did you see that play by Darren Lee? And, and sometimes that lingers and maybe I count for it too much or give it too much credit. But I think he's a terrific player. I actually had this conversation with someone yesterday. And they were giving me a little bit of grief about him being a top 10. And they were saying, you know, some teams have second-round grades on it. And I said, yeah, I know. I don't. <laughs> I'm that guy that just likes him a whole lot. And, 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 as, and, as, and as I acknowledged to my friend who actually works at the NFL and works for a team, it's a lot easier for me to do things like that because come draft day, I don't have to pay the piper on the whole thing. That's just my opinion. Those guys have to live with it because if they take him and it doesn't work out, you know, you guys know the story with that. Those guys got families to feed, Charles. They, they do. They got families to feed. They got mortgages to pay. I have the same thing, but my grading system isn't quite the same as theirs. I, I would be the first to jump up on the table and acknowledge that. Not quite the same pressure. Although, as you guys know, 
if I'm blowing it left and right each and every year, eventually they'll come get me. But but it's not quite the same for these guys. I would say it's tougher in some ways for you, Charles, because you don't have one team that you're scouting for. You're just doing the entire league just overall, whereas, you know, the Eagle Scouts know that they have to fit someone in a 4-3 scheme. They know they're getting someone offensively for the West Coast type offense. You know, they kind of have uh, parameters they're looking for. You're just going across the board. Who's the best player, period? Yeah, you know, I appreciate that. I think that still I would definitely fall back on they have it tougher because (laughs) they're satisfying a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl in a city that is passionate and extremely knowledgeable about their about their team and their game. You know, it's one thing that passionate fans, but that passionate fans actually know what they're talking about. And I don't know how you guys feel about it. I don't think there's a, there's ever been a time in the NFL where the fans don't have a don't have the best chance that they have right now to be knowledgeable about the game in the league. I mean, think about when we were growing up. Was did, did the idea of being able to access all 22 tapes ever cross your mind? When you were a kid, that that you as a fan could get what the coaches get and the players get, and be able to say, "Yeah, I watched this kid." You know, five games. They can do that now. You know, the the, the things that you guys do and the things that you guys provide that gives people a great opportunity to learn the game more. So it's to me, it's a little bit different now than ever before. Charles, my last question for you is this: It's pro day season. What are the big storylines that you're following? Who has the most to prove in the upcoming weeks on the Pro Day circuit? Well, I think for me on the Pro Day circuit, I still come back to these quarterbacks, and it is a major debate to me. I don't know how you guys feel about it. and I'm sure I'll talk to you about it as we go along. This debate about what we have with, you know, let's say Goff and Wentz. We know that they're the top two guys. I feel like they've become such great shiny objects because they're in our, you know, in our focus so much that people are saying, "Well, I would take them before I would take, um, you know, Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota last year." And never once has that crossed my mind. And now, after a while, you know, you start to start to doubt yourself. You're like, "Whoa, everybody's telling me this. Am I missing something?" I'm trying not to do that to myself because I've done it time many times before, and it's always turned out wrong. So watching that is one thing. The other part, of course, is watching how much we're going to rise people because they have a great pro day and how much we're going to drop them. Teddy Bridgewater remains a cautionary tale. They have a horrible pro day. I was one of the people that dropped him to second. Colleagues like Daniel Jeremiah and, and Curtis Conway did not. They kept him number one and Manziel too. And, of course, they turned out to be right, and I turned out to be very wrong. So those are things that I look for with the pro days coming up. You know, seeing, seeing guys who are injured, and didn't work out the combine, seeing how they do, seeing if guys try and better their times and, and, and what they do when they did at the combine or if they stand on certain things. Like, I knew Joey Bosa would run again, didn't you guys? I mean, there's no way that competitor was going to stand for a 4 8 plus time. Because <laughs> we, we knew he could run better when he come back from around 4 7 1 at his pro day at Ohio State, which is much more in line with what we thought. Those are the types of things I'm looking for. Charles Davis, phenomenal analyst for NFL Network. Again, check him out each and every weekday with Daniel Jeremiah on Path to the Draft at 6 p.m. Eastern and follow him on Twitter at CFD22. He will answer all of your draft questions, Eagles and otherwise. Personally, Charles Davis, thank you very much. 
for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Hey, thanks for having me as always, guys. Take care of yourself. Now it's time for Pick 6. Great stuff as always from Charles Davis from NFL Network. Now our Pick 6 this week, six players who remind us of current Eagles. It's always a fun exercise. And uh, I'll start things off. I'll go with Ohio State wide receiver Michael Thomas, 6'3", around 220 pounds, very productive in the Big Ten, similar in my estimation to Eagles wide receiver Jordan Matthews. Again, similar from an agility standpoint, both were very productive at the college level. Matthews a little bit faster, but, you know, when you're looking for some comparisons there, you know, Thomas projected he could be a first or second round round selection. Matthews, we all know, went in the second round has been very, very good for the Eagles uh, since arriving from Vanderbilt. So my first comparison, Michael Thomas and Jordan Matthews. I like that one. I like that one a lot. It's a really uh, interesting comparison there. I'm going to start things off at the running back position because uh, I think a lot of teams are kind of looking for that that mismatch that they can, you know, line a guy up in the slot, a third down kind of back, that change of pace where you can do a bunch of different things with. And the Eagles have a guy like that in Darren Sproles. And a player who reminds me of him is Kenyon Drake, the running back from Alabama. We saw him down in Mobile, Fran. Uh, Drake's a, a few inches taller than Sproles. He's listed at six foot, um, but incredible breakaway speed, can catch the ball out of the backfield, uh, can do a lot of different things for an offense. He, he's probably not going to be your every down back, but again, as I said, a guy you can kind of mix in there on third down. And then he can provide a lot for you on special teams as a kick returner, as a punt returner. I see a little bit of Darren Sproles and Kenyon Drake. Yeah, you could throw Tyler Irvin from San Jose State into that mix as sure. well. Very similar player. Uh, the, when we first started talking about doing this topic for pick six, I had to take the low-hanging fruit. The yeah, one that sure. I've been going back We knew. We yeah. knew you, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was the one I've been saying now since the summer. Uh, and that's Sean Davis, the corner from Maryland to Eric Rowe. Very similar size. Very similar athleticism. Both guys started as a safety in their career, then shifted outside the corner as a senior. Then they both went down to the senior bowl and played safety at the senior bowl. Uh, Very, very, very similar test scores at the combine. So uh, a lot of comparables there with Sean Davis and Eric Rowe. I think that's a slam dunk comparison. All right, my second one for pick six, and I'm going to flat admit that I'm using this one from Lance Zierlein from NFL.com. It's a player who brings length and athleticism off the edge. As a basketball background, you're thinking I'm talking about Connor Barwin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're correct. But I'm also talking about Utah State's edge rusher, Kyler Fackrell. I think it's a nice comparison there between the two. Um, you know, both around the 6'3", 255 pounds. Uh, as I mentioned with the description, you know, similar backgrounds. You can do a lot of the same things. So uh, give a nice little hat tip to Lance Erline there for the comparison. Yeah, I think that it's... We, we kind of I think we started hearing that back uh, at the Senior Bowl when when scouts and, and media analysts got a chance to watch them in person. But they both kind of have that that long athletic frame coming off the edge, so it certainly makes sense. Uh, my second pick here, I'm going to go with Jason Spriggs, the offensive tackle, uh, who kind of reminds me of Lane Johnson in that both big guys, both very athletic guys. Spriggs listed at six foot five. Um, that big athletic tackle, very light on his feet, and I think that's uh, an area where 
looking at Lane Johnson coming out of Oklahoma. Very good on his feet, can get out and set the edge uh, on the run. He can also a very good pass protector. Still needs a little bit of refining in his technique, and that was something with Lane Johnson, with his hand technique and how he used his hands uh, through his rookie season with the Eagles and, and something that he's been working on. So uh, as far as that big athletic offensive lineman that still may need a little bit of work down the line, I think Jason Spriggs compares pretty well to Lane Johnson. Yeah, I actually wrote that in my notes while watching Spriggs. Two, very, two guys, very similar size. The athletic ability, you look at the, the combine scores, lanes were better, mm-hmm. but Spriggs' athletic scores were also very, very high. So a, a great comparison there. The last one I went with was Malcolm Mitchell, the wide, the wide receiver from Georgia, to Nelson Aguilar. Very, same height, same weight, very similar 40 times. And you look at the way that those two guys play, they have positional versatility. A lot of people see them potentially as both slot receivers or as Z receivers on the outside. They can beat you deep, but then they also have the ability to win yards after catch. Malcolm Mitchell is a guy that I certainly can see being compared to Nelson Aguilar. And Malcolm Mitchell is also a guy that I caught up with down at the Senior Bowl in this week's unofficial visit, Georgia wideout Malcolm Mitchell. The unofficial visit. Here now with Georgia wide receiver Malcolm Mitchell. Malcolm, for those who have yet to see you play, can you provide a, a quick scouting report to yourself? Uh, if I base myself off today, I think I did have some nice routes, some good catches. Uh, a lot to work on, but definitely definitely improves today. And then based off the feedback you've gotten from NFL scouts, what's one area you feel like you need to improve throughout the draft process? Uh, yards after catch. Uh, make the big plays, stay on my feet, and keep moving. And you were a big-time defensive back your first year at Georgia. How does that help you as you, as you made the transition to wide receiver? So I, I can read the coverage just a little better. I can see how they're aligned and adjust my routes. And that's how I take advantage of the knowledge I have from playing on that side of the ball. And then is there an area where you know right away for an NFL team you know you can make an impact? You're obviously using a number of different ways in that Georgia offense. Um, I think immediately I can stretch the field. And if not starting on offense, I love to get on special teams and impact that way. And then the last question for you. Playing in the SEC obviously went against a number of big-time defensive backs. Yeah, they're all here, exactly. Who was the best one you feel like you went against your senior Uh, year? Vernon at at, uh, Florida was very good. Uh, But a lot of good guys are here. Like Cyrus Jones from Alabama, I know we had a good matchup. Guys from LSU, there's an Auburn guy here that's really good. Uh, I mean, I'm basically – going against everybody I played this season, so I'm having fun out here. All right, well, then this will be the final question. Okay. Obviously, talent comes in all shapes and sizes. Would you rather go up against a bigger, taller physical corner or a smaller guy that can keep up and stay in your hip pocket down the field? Either way, it doesn't matter either way. When the ball is in the air, everybody's even. There you go. Malcolm Mitchell, appreciate the time, and good, good luck moving forward. All right, thank you. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, last but certainly not least, your questions in our draft mailbag. And a lot of great ones this week, so let's get right into it so we can try to get through as many of them as possible. First one comes from Ryan P., who goes, for, goes by at Crow underscore Magno on Twitter. Wants to know, what is the best value inside the top ten prospects? And what's Doug Pearson's history drafting running backs? Basically, could the Eagles go number eight with the running back and Alex... You looked up the stat yesterday. What was the last time the Eagles overall drafted a running back in the first round? The last time the Eagles drafted a running back in the first round was 1986, and it was Keith Byers. So it's certainly been a long time, and I was very surprised to see that it did uh, go back that far. There's been some guys in the second round, obviously, LaShawn McCoy, uh, and, and the third round as well, but 
If you're looking at it, an Eagles running back in the first round, you have to go all the way back to 1986. Now, that doesn't mean that it precludes them from taking it this year. No, absolutely not. But I think you just have to go by how Doug Peterson grew up you know, with Andy Reid. Andy Reid never took one in the first round. He mm-hmm. took you know, LaShawn McCoy in the second round. Uh, Deuce Staley was prior to Andy Reid's arrival, mm-hmm. but even he, he was a third-round pick. Brian Westbrook, third-round pick. So they will take guys high, but top ten. Right. I mean, the whole debate is going to be is, is he going to be that much better running back than someone you could get in the mid-rounds? That's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun debate because there's no question he's one of the best prospects mm-hmm. in this year's draft class. But I think from a positional verse, uh, value standpoint, you know, top 10, you're trying to get a playmaker. Um, you know, if you, the problem is who's going to be there from a value standpoint. You would say Larry Tunsil. I mean, I did a radio interview over the weekend. They were like, well, who do you think Eagles can take? Well, I'm like, if Larry Tunsil falls in raid, it's, <laughs> well, yeah. it's a no-brainer. If Jalen Ramsey's there, I think there's no question. Those guys just aren't going to be there for you at that point. So, um, so it's why it's tough to say from the value standpoint exactly. You're just at eight trying to get as good a prospect as possible. But I think you do have to factor in the positional value as well into that. Right, and I look at number eight uh, and Ezekiel Elliott, and I think the possibility of seeing what Doug Peterson could do with Ezekiel Elliott is obviously really exciting. If you look at what Kansas City was able to do with Jamal Charles in that offense and how big of a part of that offense he was, getting him involved in the screen game and and spreading him out wide and, and all those different things, and I think that could be really fun to see what the Eagles could do with Ezekiel Elliott. But on the other hand, if, if you don't have the offensive line to, to block for that running back, then how much does it really matter? So I, I think you kind of have to weigh your options there. All right. Next up here comes from Kang, who goes by on Twitter, at Kang underscore Greg. Do you think the wide receiver coaches, Greg Lewis, can make Corey Coleman consistent along with Jordan Matthews, Nelson Aguilar, and Josh Huff? And you brought this up to Charles Davis. You know, Howie Roseman said he wants speed, deep speed. Right. At wide receiver, Corey Coleman will present that to you in this year's draft class. That's why you almost wonder, is he maybe a wild card option right. you know, for that number eight pick possibly because there aren't many options. There's no options in free agency at this point unless you're going to go Percy Harvin, but he's not someone I think you're going to bring into the building, sure. Mike Wallace at this point. Mm-hmm. So to me, Corey Coleman would be the best unless you wait for Will Fuller, but I don't, Will Fuller's not going to be there for you in the third round. The Eagles don't have a second-round pick at this point. Um, so I think the key is going to be he obviously has to learn the route tree. You you brought up a, you wrote down a stat about how many routes. You know, I know Charles Davis mentioned it during his interview. You wrote it down that there have been very few routes outside of the four that Davis mentioned that Coleman ran. So how quickly can he be acclimated? I think Greg Lewis was an outstanding route runner during his time in the NFL and would be able to teach. And I think that's going to be the big question is how quickly can he acclimate himself to the NFL rotary? Yeah, and that's what it comes down to is what, what comfort level does a receiver coach have looking at Corey Coleman, meeting and, and talking with Corey Coleman, that he can then get up to speed in terms of an NFL route tree. How quickly can he learn it? Because he certainly has the physical ability to. And he's pro- I, would say, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that he's probably the, the most physically gifted wide receiver in this draft class. Uh, Coleman has as high an upside as anybody. All right, uh, next question here comes from Rakeef, who goes by at KingKeef, double underscore on Twitter. What would it take to get into the second round to try to get Will Fuller? A lot of mock drafts have him going late first now, so I don't know if that will work. But still, 
what would it take to go into the second round for him without trading back from number eight? Um, and you might be talking to start, depending on how high you want to go in the second round, both your third round picks, yep. I would think, would have sure. to be in the discussion. Or you might be sacrificing a high pick, a second round pick next year yep. in order to do it. So um, I think it's interesting the fact that when I first learned of the trade for Maxwell and Alonzo to Miami, mm-hmm. and you know, I was thinking, like, okay, could the Eagles have gotten that second-round pick? You know, I was, I was thinking that's probably what the Eagles would want to get. The fact that you're able to get into the top ten, though, so much more exciting. Sure. Um, you know, don't forget, the second-round pick, they, they got their quarterback with it. Yeah. I mean, Sam Bradford. They have their sure. starting quarterback with it right Do now. Do you want – would you like to have the second-round pick now? Of course, but you just have to think about it that you have your starting quarterback for – the 2016 season in the fold because of that draft pick. But still, could the Eagles move up? They certainly could if they wanted to. Um, might be a little rich to do it, but it obviously depends on who falls. You know, That's how some of these things play out. Is if a prospect who's expected to go late first slides into the second, maybe it's Will Fuller. Maybe you're like, all right, maybe it's worth giving up the couple draft picks. So. Yeah, and I certainly think that Howie Roseman and the Eagles front office are certainly weighing all their options right now of what they could possibly do when the draft comes around. Right now they have four picks in the top 100. They got that number 100 overall pick by trading DeMarco Murray and moving up in the fourth. So they certainly do have some chips to play with. I just think it it might be pretty difficult to pry away a second-round pick from another team because obviously there's great value there. Well, if you told me the Eagles were going to move up to number eight, I would have probably, while trading... Murray and Alonzo and Maxwell in the process. Probably would have thought that was difficult, too. So. Sure, absolutely. Uh, our last question, and this is a, a game that Fran likes to play. I love this game. Comes from our friend Taylor Bolton, at tbolt 10 on Twitter. Do you either, it's an either or, Ooh, this would is you rather? One. Would you rather? This is a good one. Take Zeke Elliott with number eight, and then Xavier Howard, the corner from Baylor, in the third, or Vernon Hargraves with the first-round pick, and then Kenny Dixon. In the third round. This uh, must be such a tough one for I Fran. was going to say, you got some I, well, man see, I, crushes galore I, I for Fran. The, I peeked ahead down our rundown sheet okay. to, to get a look at it. So, so you've really been thinking about this I, all really podcast about That's why I've been quiet for most of this mailbag segment, because I've really been internalizing this question. Um, I think I'd go with Vernon Hargreaves and Kenneth Dixon. Wow. Uh, Dixon I love. I mean, I think Dixon is, is, to me, he's a top 40, top 35 talent in this draft class. Uh, so getting him in the third round is obviously great value. And then you get Vernon Hargreaves, who's one of the best man-to-man cover corners in this draft. And uh, a little bit on the smaller side, but an outstanding player. I, I think you can't go wrong either way. If you get either of these two options, you did a pretty good job. But uh, to me, I'd go the other way. I'd go Zeke Elliott in the first and Xavier Howard in the third, just because I think that Ezekiel Elliott is really an elite talent in this draft and can be uh, an instant game-changer on, on an offense. So I'd probably lean that way. I... Tend to agree. I, my only caveat would be is who is, else is there at number eight? I'm just going by, you know, as the draft were to unfold. But looking at this here, I, I agree with Alex. I, you know, I've gone back and forth on the Zeke Elliott number eight thing. You know, there's, you can make strong cases in either way. But if you're going to tell me I get Zeke Elliott in the first round, who I think would also help make your offensive line better because he can pass block, mm-hmm. he can get. He's a great at getting yards after contact. He'll be great at turning, you know, that first and ten that might go into no gain. He might fall for two yards and turn into a second eight or something more manageable. Mm-hmm. And then Zavian Howard's a heck of a talent to get in the third round at corner. So I know a lot of people will look at Baylor's defense and say they played in the Big 12, they gave up 40 points a game. 
Um, but, you know, I know Charles Davis is very high on Howard. I know, Fran, you like Howard a lot. So, um, you know, he's, he's got the size. He's got the athleticism. I'd be very happy to have Elliott and Davian Howard there on my team. What sold me was I like both that, the value of Zeke Elliott in the top ten and the value of VH3 in, in the top ten. I'm good. Then I start saying, okay, well, who's the better player with Kenneth Dixon or Xavier Howard? I personally went with Kenneth Dixon. So you love a, Dixon. A, I, lo- I love you Dixon. Love so Dixon. with Dixon and VH3, I felt really, really good there. I think, but that that scenario there, I think, is why you could wait on a running back and yep. not take it at sure. eight because are you going to get that big a drop-off going from Elliott, who's no question, blue-chip prospect, to Kenny Dixon, who can be very explosive in his own right in his offense. That's why I think makes that that's the other side of the running back in the top ten debate is how different will it be getting someone like a Kenny Dixon in the third versus taking Elliott in the first. So, gentlemen, I think that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Uh, please make sure to rate and comment wherever you listen to our podcast. That will help us know what you guys like, what you want to hear on future episodes, and make this podcast that much better for you, the fans, because that's why we're doing it in the first place. So for Brian Thomas behind the scenes, for Alex Smith and Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. You've been listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA.